By now, you've probably seen trailers from Marvel's latest superhero movie. This time around, though, he may be a character you're a lot less familiar with. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show, focus on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. The newest entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is called Shang-Chi, The Legend of the Ten Rings. The story's main character, Shang-Chi, has a long history in Marvel comics, but he's hardly the household name of, say, the Hulk, Spider-Man, Captain America, even Iron Man. Well, Marvel hopes to change that. Paul Acey, Bob Hoos, and Jonathan McKee are with me today to talk about what parents need to know about this movie, as well as how to balance the film's really redemptive themes with its mm, kind of messy spirituality. Later on, if you've been hearing something about the metaverse and wondering what that's all about, we're going to talk about that too, and we'll tell you everything you need to know about this tech trend, which sounds like science fiction, but is actually coming to a VR set near you, potentially very soon. Well, it's that time of year again, friends, and no, I'm not talking about kids going back to school or leaves turning colors. No, I'm talking about a new Marvel movie coming to theaters. And and let's face it, any time of year is the time of year for Marvel (laughs) movies to come to theaters. Disney, which is Marvel's parent company, has high hopes for this big late summer release. But unless you're a hardcore, card-carrying, t-shirt-wearing, comic book-collecting superfan, there's a pretty good chance that this is the first time you have heard of Shang-Chi. Who is this guy? What's his movie about? What do we like? What do we not like? Well, my friendly neighborhood plugged in show listeners, we're going to answer all of those questions right now. Paul, you and I both had a chance to see this film, and I'm going to ask Jonathan and Bob to weigh in on our conversation as well. We both had things that we liked and some things that we were concerned about. So let's start from the top. What's the story with this guy, Shang-Chi? And what's the basic plot in this movie? So Shang-Chi is, he starts the movie actually as Sean, and he's a valet. He works as a valet. Like he a does car this, driver yeah, exactly. at a hotel? He parks cars. He does this. He's been doing this for years with his very best friend, Katie. Um, but he has a secret life that even Katie knows nothing about. He was actually raised to be an assassin for his father. That happened to me, too, but nobody knows it. Yeah, well, now everybody does. That's, oh, that's I didn't awkward. know you were a valet. <laughs> Good one, Jonathan. Okay, Paul, sorry. So what happens is is they're riding to work one day on a bus, which is sort of ironic given they're, they're valet drivers. By the stuff. way, are they in the U.S.? Yes, they are in the San U.S. San Francisco. Just wanted to make they sure. Are, lots of hills. Lots yeah. and lots of hills. So they're going to work one day, and all of a sudden, uh, Sean is attacked by all these martial arts experts and this guy who has a blade on his wrist, essentially. He doesn't... It's sort of like Captain Hook, but only with an energy blade. So right. he mm. he has a frenetic fight with all these people, and he Ooh, Frenetic. That was a nice, nice very adjective. Nice. Thank you very Just, much. I, I'm looking it up right now. (laughs) (laughs) So he has this fight, uh, destroys the bus, scares a lot of people in the meantime, but but Sean realizes that his dad knows where he is. Moreover, he took an amulet from around his neck that his mom, his dearly departed mom, gave him a long time ago, telling him that it was the way to find his way home if he ever got lost. 
The amulet apparently has some secret value that, that Sean knows nothing about. He needs to talk with his estranged sister, who also has an amulet, and he needs to find out what's going on with his dad. Why are guys with one arm and laser blades trying to kill him <laughs> on the bus in San Francisco? <laughs> Katie, Katie takes this very well and uh, decides to go <laughs> along for the ride. And she's played by Aquafina too, if you're familiar with who she is. And so she brings a sort of comedic panache to the proceedings. She does. In in a way, the Shang-Chi in The Legend of the Ten Rings, it's one of the funnier Marvel movies that I think I've, I've been aware of. And I think Aquafina brings a lot to the party in terms of its comedy. It feels like a very rich story and, and one of the more entertaining Marvel movies that we've seen probably in the last couple of years. Yeah, it reminded me a lot in some of the battle scenes of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Mm. I mean, it had that sort of beautiful almost dance-like quality mm-hmm. to it, mm-hmm. you know, as these p- characters manage to bloodlessly eviscerate each other, <laughs> you know, which is, that's the peculiar thing about superhero movies, right? I mean, they're they're full of violence, and yet it's not violence that, for the most part, ever makes you, like, wince or cover your eyes or turn your head. They just, you know... Well, unleash and, destruction everywhere they go. <laughs> like the A-Team. It's <laughs> kind of like, the, that's actually not a bad comparison, Jonathan. Uh, and Riptide, which came after it, but that's a podcast for another exactly. time. Well, exactly. a lot of times when I watch these martial arts movies, honestly, what I think of more than a violent action movie in some ways, I am called back to, to Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers because <laughs> the choreography for some of those, those fight scenes is so fluid. And so graceful. And you almost, you marvel more at, at sort of what you're seeing on screen no than thinking. <laughs> exactly. Mm. You, you are very appreciative of what you see on screen. And you don't necessarily notice the violence as much. Now, is that a problem? It could be. Yeah, you could probably go both ways with that. So that's like the first third of the movie, which feels very superhero-y and martial artsy. And then things go in a little bit of a more mystical direction. Do you want to say more about that? Because I think that sets up some of the problems that we need to talk about with this film, too. When you talk about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I think that that's almost a good place to start. We are dealing with a very Eastern world here and a very mystical Eastern world where you're talking about uh, characters who sort of straddle the line between reality and mythology. You hear references to gods. You hear, you see that that a lot of these people have superhuman powers. And granted, I mean, it's a superhero movie, so you kind of expect that. Mm -hmm. But there's a mythical element that brings us into more of of an Eastern spirituality. Mm -hmm. Um, From what I can tell, most of the actual story structure isn't pulled from any particular uh, religion. You know, you don't necessarily see any nods to Buddhism or Taoism or anything like that, but it definitely has that tang, if you will. Well, and one of the things I wanted to point out um, that I got my attention visually, and, and I think that we need to mention it, it's not quite a spoiler warning, but it's in the neighborhood. Some of these spiritual-ish monsters, they feed on the souls of their victims. And we see their people's souls are represented by like this white glowing ball that gets sucked out of them to feed the monsters. And I think in terms of spiritual ideas, obviously Marvel has drawn in a, you know, a very tapestry kind of way, loosely from all sorts of spiritual traditions and pantheons. 
that was a moment in the film where I it gave me pause just a little bit because mm. it felt more um it felt like the stakes were higher, if I can say that. Mm-hmm. Seeing people's souls getting sucked out of them and knowing that that was feeding the monsters. Um, what did you think about that, Paul? I totally agree. I mean, and I, as a parent, taking a child, taking a teen to this movie, I think you can look at it in two different ways. It doesn't feel very Christian. You know, right. a lot of these elements don't feel very Christian. At the same time, you can use them potentially as a catalyst to talk about, number one, we live in a pluralistic society, right, where a lot of people don't believe mm-hmm. what we believe, and it gives you a little bit of a license to talk about that a little bit. Number two, you can overlay some Christian elements on the top of that as you talk about it, because obviously you're talking about souls. You're talking about mm-hmm. about people who have a, a life beyond their physical body. You have these creatures who feel like they come straight from the pits of Hades, essentially. Seriously. And, and, and they even talk about them... I don't know that they actually call them demons, but that's sort of what they're likened to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So you have you have this good versus evil battle, and you truly are fighting over souls, you know, which is a very Christian message in a way. So, so even though the superficially, it feels very different from what we would believe, but you can still take what we believe. I think and talk about use this film as sort of a, a jumping off point to talk about it a little bit deeper. Yeah, I really like that, Paul. And and I think on the positive side of things, there were some redemptive things here that were pretty strong. What what did you note in that area? Most Marvel movies deal a great deal with obviously the battle between good versus evil. You have elements of sacrifice. You see here a story about family, which mm. really struck me. And you find here the main evildoer, we're kind of getting sort of crossing into slightly spoilery territory. Moderately. Moderately spoilery territory. But the dad is essentially the villain in this film, at least the first villain that we meet. And we see that he is not inherently, well, maybe he is inherently bad. He starts off as a really bad guy. He spent a thousand years destroying worlds, essentially. But then he falls in love. And that gives him something new and better to hope for. Mm. He becomes a family man. He he loves his wife. He loves his kid. And then something tragic happens to twist him. Mm. And we see in some ways this story is is an arc of redemption. It, you see this this father figure who has been truly twisted and corrupted by his own grief, by his own anger at what happened. And... As the movie goes on, we see how bad that has made him, but we also see the love behind it. Mm. And I think that that's a powerful, poignant moment in the movie. Would you say that the theme is more predominantly slanted toward family issues or toward the spiritual side of things that you were talking about earlier? Because I'm thinking as a parent, if if I took a, a smaller kid and it was really, really heavy in the spiritual side of things, I might be a little bit more hesitant to step in. So many times these are in the eye of the beholder. For me, the family issues were at the core. The spiritual yeah, issues were too. more sort of the world that that it was sort of built on in setting. a way. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It was the setting. You, you it made the world feel real in a way. Hmm. Uh, but the family messages were really at the core of this and and the weird thing about Marvel movies, I think, is that yeah, they're all about saving the world or saving the galaxy or saving the universe. And yet, 
the secondary message in so many of these movies is the importance of family, mm. how family can impact you for good and sometimes for bad. Mm. Well, and Bob, let me key into one of the things you said. You said, if I were to bring my younger kid, and that's where I think really the importance is, I wouldn't bring my younger kid to most Marvel movies. <laughs> me personally, uh, I'm thinking of bringing my teenager. You know, that, yeah. that's what I'm thinking of. Good discussion points for my teens. So I agree with you, Bob, that I probably wouldn't bring my eight-year-old or my 10-year-old to this, but I definitely see sitting with my, you know, my freshman in high school and go, man, this is a cool discussion point. Now, I think that's a great place to land our conversation today here, um, that these Marvel movies, and what have we had, 23, 24? 24 now. 24 of them. Wow. They have become such a part of our culture and such, you know, sort of must-see viewing events. You know, we live mm -hmm. in a culture that is so, increasingly it's fragmented, right? Yeah. There are very few things that we all participate in. But the Marvel movies are kind of a throwback to the time when, you know, there were these movies that everybody saw and talked about. But we can forget that they're PG-13 movies, and they're PG-13 movies for a reason. Uh, there is a pretty high body count here, and you can make the excuse or try to sort of get around it by saying, well, it's, it's sanitized, it's not gory, but uh, there's a lot of violence here, a lot of, of spirituality that, as Paul was talking about, I think it's navigable, but I also think you're going to want to talk about it. And if you're not willing to enter into that in a really active way, um, I think it might be good to take a step back and say, well, how am I interacting with these stories? And that, um, you know, that's true not only of Marvel movies, but of everything we talk sure, about. So sure. um, Shang-Chi, like a lot of Marvel movies, I think ultimately is a mixed bag. Uh, very well made, very compelling characters, some great family themes. But we've got violence and spirituality issues. That, and a little language as well. And, and a little language. Actually, mm -hmm. more than a little language. Aquafina mm -hmm. likes to swear. I'm just going to say that. Mm -hmm. I, I noticed it more mm -hmm. in this one than I did perhaps in some other Marvel movies. Well, one of the other things we strive to do at Plugged In is to keep you up to speed on what is happening in the realm of technology and how advances that we're seeing in that area might be influencing your kids. So in our next segment, we're going to talk about the growing buzz about something called the metaverse. Now, you might think that that's <laughs> people making jokes about making jokes, you know, in a meta way, but it's more than that. Bob, you wrote a terrific plugged in blog article recently on the subject of the metaverse. And I have to say it was pretty interesting, um, although that implies that I think the rest of your stuff isn't interesting, <laughs> yeah. which is not but what I'm trying to say. It's usually rather boring. So, um... But I digress. It was a nice change for you. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, what is the metaverse? Unpack this idea for us. Okay. Well, we probably ought to start with the, the whole thing that sort of brought the conversation to the public mind. Yeah. And that is uh, when uh, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg essentially announced that he's going to transform his social media company into a metaverse company. And everybody went, wow. oh, what's that? What is that? What is that thing? And the metaverse is what I think most people who talk about this subject, they believe it to be the next evolutionary step of the internet. It's transforming the internet into something that is much more of a um, 360 degree virtual world okay. where you, you sort of become this avatar that can step into this world and interact with people and things there. Now, that may sound really bizarre, like, wow, can they possibly do that? But the thing is that virtual reality has been around for a long time. And for those people who have never even 
heard of virtual reality or you think it's just a game. Uh, virtual reality is it, you step into virtual reality by putting on a virtual reality headset. And it's a set of goggles and headphones right. that sort of immerse you in this digital world. And if you expand that concept to the internet, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a fully fleshed world that you can hop around from different rooms to different landscapes to wherever you want to go while you're sitting on your couch with a headset on. And you can interact as if in a real world with other people. Yeah, and you, you essentially have your own avatar, right? You, yeah, you yeah. build your own digital character to walk around these virtual worlds. Yeah, and this isn't something in the future. I mean, they have a, there's a company called Ready Player Me right now that'll help you build an avatar that you can use in any game or VR application that you, uh, that you might have. Hmm. And that's the idea, is that you, are, you stay this person. And it doesn't have to be a person. It could be a, a little bunny with a pink bow, if that's what you want to be. <laughs> and you can go... And you, you say that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> and you can go, go around to any, anything and pretty much do anything and go anywhere that you want. So as I read your blog, and it was very good, Bob, and, and I love you bringing up these issues, making us think about these issues. I, I just... I, I wanted to just hit the pause button. I just wanted to hit the pause button as a parent and as someone who studies this a lot because Zuckerberg has several times tried to kind of launch something. Uh, and I guess if it was adults, I, I, I think there's enough problems with this being released to adults. But the fact is this is something that kids, even young kids, even our mm -hmm. eight-year-old yep. is going to want to do. And Zuckerberg beforehand tried to release Facebook Messenger for kids. And man, 97 mental health advocates wrote him a letter, you know, people like Dr. Gene Twin just up saying, no, not for kids. And so I, I think the first thing I thought about this was, no, not for kids. And, and, hmm. and here's my two concerns. My two concerns is that, that virtual, even the word virtual, me, you know, is, is kind of close to, but not really the real thing. And, and I got no, I don't think virtual reality is a sin. I don't think it's bad, but uh, anonymity breeds a lack of responsibility. Mm. And when people can go into these worlds and be whoever they want to be and stuff like that, I think we got to just be careful there. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's evil. I think it takes maturity. I don't think this is something that 10 and 12 year olds can handle. The second concern is that when you get in these worlds, time passes. Same thing happens if you're scrolling through TikTok or Instagram, time passes. And before you know it, the people outside the room become more important than the people inside the room. And this is something that's killing families because we live in a world now where everybody's so caught up in screens. Think of, think of right now without people, you know, sitting on a couch with a helmet on <laughs> totally lost in another world. Right now they're sitting on a couch staring at a small screen instead of talking with each other. And so I think we really got to be careful and make sure that this doesn't just suck the life out of us. As I think about this issue, I, I do think about that issue of screens. You're absolutely right, Jonathan. We get we're so involved with our screens now mm -hmm. anyway. I mean there there are studies that show that teenagers spend nine hours a day in front of screens. Um, this encourages us to pull inward even more into this digital world yeah. and, and sort of lose track, I think potentially of reality. But I also think that there's a spiritual component to this. When you're talking about these avatars and when you're talking about them being as immersed in this digital world as they are, in a sense, are we creating, recreating ourselves in 
an image that we feel is more pleasing than the one that God gave us. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it just makes me wonder about that a little bit. And I, I think that there can be some troubling, some troubling offshoots to that. Well, and we've seen iterations of this in all kinds of science fiction movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ready Player One posits a dystopian world in yep. which most people are living in abject poverty and they just want to escape. Right. They, right. they yeah. want to get yeah. away from it. Um, just the, a couple of weeks ago, we had reminiscence in which Hugh Jackman builds a machine to let people retreat back into their memories. Uh, and in most of these things, you'll see people in suits or submersed in water like they're completely physically trying to escape the world mm-hmm. as they dip into a substitute virtual reality. And I think we can watch that and think. Well, that would never happen, but I don't think we're that far away from it. And if you haven't ever put a pair of VR goggles on, mm-hmm. um, the technology is pretty staggering. Yeah. I remember the first time I played, you know, you think of it, oh, it's just a video game with a screen closer to your eyes. That actually doesn't do it justice. It it invites you into a world, oh, yeah. and especially with the headphones, um, it really is an immersive experience. And... I found myself reacting physically to things happening in the screen as if they were real Mm -hmm. in a much different way than if I were playing a game on my phone or even on an 80 inch big screen, you know, Mm. six feet away Mm -hmm. from me. And as much as we, you know, we talk about being addicted or unhealthily connected to our phones, it's still a separate physical reality at this point. I can still at least theoretically put my phone down, right? Yeah, yeah. But when you strap on a VR headset, it literally becomes a part of your body for the time that you are connected to it. And, you know, especially even in our pandemic world where we were locked down for the last year, it's not hard for me to see how we would get to a point where people primarily want to exist in that world and right. not the real world, just like we've seen in these movies. And you're absolutely correct. The technology has advanced so much in the last few years. I mean, and yes, you can still get one of those little rudimentary things like a little cardboard right. uh, eyepiece that you put your phone in. But the, the technology now is so advanced in some of the upper models that it, it is completely immersive. It's, yeah. it's really... And when you have headphones on, like we have a couple games just for our PlayStation 4. Uh, one of them is called Beat Saber, which is yeah. sort of like one part Guitar Hero and one part playing with lightsabers. You basically yeah. Yeah. just you swipe at things coming at you to the beat of the music. If my kids are playing that, I can walk in the room and yell at them <laughs> and they cannot hear me. I right. have to literally... Right physically grab them to shake them out just because of the nature of the experience. Yeah. Right. yeah. And with that nature comes, I think, one of the positives for the technology, at least. You know, the, the, what Zuckerberg is talking about is a little bit concerning. But as I think about this immersive experience, I can't help thinking about it gives you the opportunity to do things you might never be able to do. I immediately think about how you could walk around in first century Jerusalem, you know, Mm -hmm. literally following Jesus's footsteps, seeing what he saw. I think that there, there are potentials for some really fantastic things. Yeah. I mean, I think what's newsworthy here is instead of isolated games and worlds here and there that you can plug into and play for a bit and leave like a traditional game. Right. Zuckerberg is taking his fortune, his multi-billion dollar fortune, and saying, I want to create an interconnected experience 
where everybody is participating in the same virtual world. And so as Christians uh, and as parents, we are going to have to navigate that. And if we have at times uh, struggled to navigate smartphones, I think this is next level technology. And I think, Bob, you did a great job of helping us to understand the implications of why this matters Mm -hmm. and why we're going to have to grapple with it. So thanks for bringing that to our attention this week in a long form conversation. And now we're going to have a very short form conversation that we like to call culture countdown. So (laughs) here are the rules. We are going to have a very rapid fire conversation with my handy dandy timer, just in case, you know, you start to wax eloquent. The timer will remind you that you need to keep talking and get to your point. And we're going to do it with 30 seconds for each of us today. So I didn't uh, do my tongue exercise. I'm not sure if I'm going to be little, little, little. And we're going to start with Jonathan today. So Jonathan, it's time for the culture countdown. What you got? Okay, OnlyFans, the social media app, announced that it will prohibit creators from posting material with sexually explicit conduct on its website. Uh, And when rapper Tyga found out about this, he deleted his OnlyFans account and he launched his own competing app, MyStar, which will allow, and I quote him, sex workers and celebrities alike, and I'll just let you just kind of absorb that for a second, to post their sexually explicit videos. And then he said... I know how many people make a lot of money on OnlyFans, and I just wanted to give those people hope. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, give them yeah, hope. I would have buzzed that, too. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right. I want Thanks, to give Jonathan. Those people hope. Paul? Oh, my goodness. Are you, are you ready for my countdown? Let's do it. Three. Let's do it. Two, one, go. So Netflix is now engaging in clickbait. I had no idea that they actually switch their their thumbnail pictures on the movies that they they show us, Mm. depending on our browser history. So Mm. if we watch a lot of romances, you'll see a romantic pictures for, say, Shang-Chi and and (laughs) whatnot. (laughs) <laughs> Shang-Chi, excuse me. Um, anyway, it's a, it's a pretty interesting thing. They've actually been doing it since 2017. And there we go. And there we go. <laughs> 30 seconds comes and goes so quickly. I know. Especially when Net- you laugh Netflix for eight is, seconds. Uh, <laughs> Netflix is trying to get us to watch more of what we like. Bob, you ready? Yep. All right, go. I'm here with a little tech news. There's a malware called the Joker virus that came to fame in 2017 and then was stamped out of existence, but it's back. It impacts Android devices by hiding in popular Google Play Store apps. You innocently download the app to your Android phone. It slips into your system and authorizes operations that you haven't given consent to, and you don't realize it's even there until it's emptied your bank account. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yep, and that's really all I needed to say. Just like your children. So watch. The only, the See, only other thing, I should, I should be able to at least say, watch out what you download on. All right, we'll let Google. you sneak that in. <laughs> I was going to say, I was pretty I was hard say on Paul, Apple, so I can't but, let you, know. you say much more. Yeah, get yourself an iPhone. Right, <laughs> exactly. All right, does somebody want to count me in? Bob, would you oh, do yeah, the sure. honors? Ready? I'm ready. Three, two, one. Well, all Star Wars nerds know that Boba Fett's ship is called the Slave One. Well, Disney has decided it doesn't want one of its main characters flying around in a ship called the Slave One 
and they are changing it. The first change was simply to call it the very imaginative Boba Fett's Starship, <laughs> right? But now Marvel Comics has come out and they are calling it the Fire Spray. Fans are not happy. They get it. Slavery is not something you want to be associated with. Boba Fett. See, it goes really shit. fast. It really does go very fast. I was just getting wound up. No discussion but, points but there. But like huh? you, I shall submit to the rules that I have created because that's only fair. <laughs> well, we hope that you enjoyed our Plugged In show today, and we'll be back next week for more cultural conversation and another fun culture countdown in which we find out how many ideas we can possibly cram into 30 seconds, which <laughs> it turns out that it's not very many. <laughs> and speaking of conversation, we would love to connect with you too. So what is your favorite conversation starter Marvel movie and why? We talked about how Shang-Chi could be a springboard to... Uh, really a great discussion about potentially spiritual ideas about families. But what about you? Which of Marvel's multitudinous number of superhero movies do you think is a great springboard for conversation? You can let us know at our Facebook or Instagram. And with Instagram, you'll find us at Plugged In Team. Or just shoot us an email at team at thepluggedinshow.com. Well, as a thanks for being a part of our Plugged In Show family, today for a gift of any amount, we would love to send you a copy of Paul Acey's book, Burning Bush 2.0, How Pop Culture Replaced the Prophet. You'll find a link to order that book in the episode notes for today's show, as well as on the Plugged In blog entry for our conversation today. Or just give us a call at 800-A-FAMILY. Well, as always, thanks so much for spending some time with us this week. And we look forward to connecting with you again next week on another episode of The Plugged In Show. 